From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government Matters with Francis Rose. Thanks for watching Government Matters, the only show covering the latest news, trends, and topics that matter to the business of government. Francis is out tonight. I'm your host, Marjorie Sensor. All 24 agencies on the FATARA scorecard have passing grades for the first time. Several large agency grades declined. The Department of Homeland Security went from a B to a C, and Veterans Affairs went from a B-plus to a C-plus. Feds Group reports the General Services Administration has the only A-plus in the federal government. More on this in just a moment. GSA will launch the third phase of its multiple award schedule consolidation. Federal Acquisition Service Commissioner Julie Dunn says the final phase will consolidate the contract schedule holders have under one identifier. NextGov reports GSA says the consolidation will make it easier for agency customers to find vendor solutions. The Internal Revenue Service and the Technology Modernization Fund would get a huge cash infusion under a proposal from House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer. He writes to Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin that the IRS should get $2 billion through the TMF for its modernization project. FCW reports the White House and Senate Republicans proposed giving the $2 billion directly to the IRS. The 10th edition of the Federal IT Acquisition Reform Act scorecard is out. It's the first time every agency got a passing grade. Richard Spires is principal at Richard A. Spires Consulting and former CIO at the Department of Homeland Security. Thanks for being here, Richard. You testified on Capitol Hill yesterday on the scorecard. Anything uh, interesting you think about this year's version in particular? Well, it was great to see that all the agencies finally got to a passing grade. It's taken five years to make that happen, but it's, uh, it is a milestone. and. And I think uh, Chairman Conley was right to, to really recognize that it's a very positive thing for federal IT. What do you attribute that to? Is it sort of just the passage of time and everyone eventually getting on board? Or do you think there was a, a kind of push there that, that got everyone across that line? No, I, I think the scorecard's been a very positive thing for federal IT, even perhaps more so than the FATARA law itself. Um, the congressional oversight that's reflected in the scorecard has been very meaningful. It's been bipartisan. It's been consistent. Uh, we go back five years with uh, with representatives Conley and ISA, and you've had representatives Hurd and Meadows and and now Heiss. You know they they really believe in that it's important for them to help improve federal IT, and I think that's pushed both the the Obama administration and now the Trump administration. Uh, and agencies to, to do better. So I, I think it's a very positive thing. During your testimony, um, you laid out some recommendations, right? Oh, yes, absolutely. We need to evolve the scorecard. I mean, it, it, it is a positive, but it, it is not measuring some of the core attributes uh, that we, we need to go after, particularly around IT modernization, uh, retirement of legacy systems, um, as well as to be able to manage those, uh, manage those modernization efforts uh, more effectively. What do you think is the key to, uh, you know, putting your recommendations in place? Is it funding? Is it sort of political will? What needs to get done here? Oh, it's definitely political will. Um, you know, in, in fact, I made, uh, in my testimony, I made recommendations about putting an advisory group together. Since this is a bipartisan effort, why don't we all get on the same page and so I recommended that GAO take the lead, work with the uh, Federal CIO Council, work with the, the Office of the Federal CIO at OMB, as well as some uh, private sector input to work to evolve the scorecard um, to go after some of, the, you know, some of the harder things to measure. I mean, you talk about IT workforce. We need to evolve the workforce 
uh, in ways that, that, that frankly, you know, is holding us back in federal IT. Uh, we need to do better planning in IT. We need to be able to better manage these IT programs. And, and those things can be measured. Uh, so those are the things I think we need to get after with uh, in, the, in the scorecard. What reaction did you hear from um, Capitol Hill as you made these recommendations yesterday? Well, I, you know, I, I think there is a good recognition on both sides of the aisle that we need to evolve. It, the scorecard's been good. Everybody would, would agree with that statement. And that we need to continue to evolve the scorecard. Um, I can't say specifically, I didn't get feedback on the specific recommendations I made, uh, but I, I would hope that the, you know, not just my recommendations, others are saying very similar things, that, that this is being taken seriously uh, up on Capitol Hill and that, that over the next uh, year or two that we'll see a real evolution of the scorecard. Does um, the ongoing pandemic create any additional challenges beyond you know, the normal ones for these agencies in trying to focus on their IT modernization? Yeah, I think so. I, on the positive side, I think the pandemic has forced agencies to, to move to uh, virtual work. And, and my view is many of the agencies have stood up to that quite well. Um, but it's also exposed some things where some of these legacy IT systems have not been able to respond that well. I mean, you look at some of the work that SBA has done, uh, also the IRS and be able to respond, you know, and, and, they're, and they are held back by, by the systems they have in place today, a lot of legacy. Uh, we need to push harder to replace some of these large scale legacy systems that are really holding back agencies uh, from being able to deliver modern digital services to citizens or other constituents. You know, one of the interesting things about the scorecard um, is that you don't always see agencies kind of moving only up, right? There's, there's movement sometimes back or there's, you know, being static. Why do you think that is? Um, particularly, you know, why do some agencies see lower grades? Well, um, I, I think it's an issue of prioritization. Um, you know, having been a CIO myself twice in federal government, there's so much coming at you in your organization. There's so many different things you're trying to do. You never have enough resource, and that's both in money and in people. And so you're having to, if you will, respond to where you see the highest priorities. And sometimes, sometimes that means you're going to slip back in some areas that you would rather not. But, but frankly, you know, it's a zero-sum uh, game in some ways, and you need to you need to, to double down in areas that, uh, for instance, the head of agency feels is very high priority. And and I think that's why you see this. Uh, sometimes you see the grade slip. And with just about a minute to go, Richard, um, you know, if you're able to evolve the scorecard and maybe put in place some of your recommendations or other recommendations, what do you think the benefit is to to agencies and to the public as we move forward here? Well, I'm I'm, I'm biased in this, uh, being a, a guy that's, that's spent my whole career in IT. But I don't think there's anything. Perhaps maybe the workforce would be the other issue. But if you can improve the way that agencies manage and deliver IT, you can have a transformational impact on, on government agencies and the, the, their ability to deliver mission services. Uh, and that's what it's, this is all about. It's not IT for IT's sake. Uh, but if we can do that, um, and, and that's, that's why I'm such a believer and have such passion for this and continue to, to be so involved because it is so important to our country at, at all levels of government, not just federal, but state and local as well. Thank you so much, Richard. Thank you.
Up next, building partnerships between the private and public sectors to invest in new medicine and technology. Straight ahead on Government Matters is a status report for the Department of Health and Human Services. You're watching WJLA 24-7 News. Department of Health and Human Services has approval to work with a private nonprofit to invest in companies making promising drugs or vaccines, but the agency hasn't yet chosen a partner. A new report from the Government Accountability Office finds the agency has taken some steps, but there are roadblocks in the way. Mary Dennigan McCauley is Director of Healthcare and Public Health and Private Markets at the Government Accountability Office. Thanks for being here, Mary. Let's start by talking about what you studied in this report. What did you take a look at? Yeah, thank you for uh, having me. So the Department of Health and Human Services is responsible for developing countermeasures. And countermeasures are things that you hear about in, in the news today that we hadn't heard about before, uh, perhaps, such as vaccines and antivirals to protect, against, to protect us against a broad array of um, health threats, um, such as like we're seeing with COVID. And it can be challenging to develop these countermeasures. And so the Department of Health and Human Services partners with public-private entities with, to help develop these um, countermeasures to make them more innovative and, and to speed them up. And so we looked at one particular type of public-private partnership in this, looking at an independent nonprofit partner that would use federal funding and venture capital practices to invest in companies that are developing countermeasures to help speed up the process. But as you mentioned, um, they haven't yet been able to award um, that partnership. What do you think are the potential benefits of this kind of partnership? Yeah, so it, the benefit is that it really helps the agency to think outside the box. As you can see from COVID, it can be so challenging to very quickly um, and nimbly come up with new countermeasures. So we have nothing for COVID, right? And that's what's helping us to, uh, making it difficult for us to get back on our feet. So these public-private partnerships help to think outside the box and to come up with new strategies. So for example, this particular one, what they could do is they could, um, they could come up with ways of administering a vaccine once it's developed to be done orally, for example, rather than to have it um, taken intravenously, which would uh, use up supplies. And as we know, we um, are short on supplies in this particular pandemic. When you did your report, what steps did you find that HHS has taken thus far to build this kind of partnership? So they've been reaching out to other agencies that have used it. It's not a common partnership to use venture capital practices in the federal government. And our review found that the CIA and the Army has used this type of partnership to be strategic in, in, in its development of countermeasures. Um, so they've spoken with stakeholders. They've taken their time to do their market research to understand how to implement it. Um, and they've also developed um, a, a strategy for how they're going to move forward. But again, they have not actually awarded that um, partnership to, to a company yet. In your assessment, what has prevented them from, from identifying a partner or making that award? Yeah, well, as I mentioned, um, this is new for the federal government. There's not a lot of experience and this is particularly new for HHS. They've never done this before. Um, and in addition, there could be other roadblocks. For example, it has to be a nonprofit entity, and there's concerns from stakeholders that a nonprofit uh, will limit the pool of candidates they could have. There's also a cap on the amount that HHS can pay this innovative partner to get involved. 
um, and that it won't be enough to, to warrant their involvement. Developing countermeasures can be very time-consuming and expensive, and it, we, it's for an event that we call a low-probability, high-consequence event. And so you could be developing a countermeasure for something that will never happen, and so there will not be any uh, return, any market incentive um, or profit on it. Huh. Do, you, do you make any recommendations in your uh, report? Uh, we don't because they had not yet made the made the award, but we are watching carefully um, because it will expire. Um, and if they haven't used the authority at that time, Congress has to make a decision whether or not they'll they'll reinvest in this authority. And, and you mentioned, of course, COVID and, and that's sucking up a lot of the energy right now. I wonder if that, um, you know, is proving an obstacle because obviously it's limiting a lot of what uh, people can do right now, or if that's sort of um, an incentive showing something that... Uh, you know, people wish we were maybe better prepared for. Yeah, so HHS does have um, experience using public-private partnerships, and they do have um, vaccine development, for example, underway using different types of public-private partnerships. But with regard to this venture capital type, absolutely COVID is, is in the way in that all, all uh, energies are, are focused on, on the COVID um, and not able to actually implement this new authority. You mentioned that this is uncommon, but there are uh, a couple examples of, of these partnerships that HHS can look to. Are there lessons learned there at this point you think might be useful or, or help to sort of shape uh, what HHS is doing? Yeah. Well, of course, every agency is going to be a little bit different, but there are lessons to be learned. For example, the amount of oversight perhaps that they need to, to be involved. They don't want to be overly prescriptive. Um, because the whole idea is for these private partnerships to be innovative. Because if you think about it, they have to be able to come up with countermeasures for a variety of different events, biological, nuclear, chemical. It could be natural, it could be man-made, it could be an intentional attack. So they really need that innovation and they don't want to be too prescriptive. And a public health threat could be a little bit different than, for example, what the CIA or what the Army is looking at. So while it's helpful to get lessons learned from these other agencies, um, it, it will be a process to understand how to implement it at HHS. And um, with, with less than a minute to go, any reaction from Capitol Hill? Obviously, they gave this authority, and they're going to have to make a decision. Is, are you sensing any uh, frustration that they haven't seen this authority acted on? I think that COVID has pointed out just how difficult it is. Uh, to make these countermeasures. So while they're anxious to get this underway, clearly there's an understanding that, that this is a very daunting task um, and one that's going to take time. Thanks so much, Mary. Thank you. Up next, agencies get graded on IT modernization. Straight ahead on Government Matters, breaking down the newest Batara scorecards. Don't forget, if you miss an episode of Government Matters, you can find it on our website, govmatters.tv. Seven agencies improved their score on the latest Federal IT Acquisition Reform Act scorecard, but four agencies received a lower grade than they did in December. Thirteen agencies kept their scores steady. Jonathan Album is Principal Data Strategist at ServiceNow and former Chief Information Officer at the Agriculture Department. Thanks for being here, Jonathan. What did you think were the biggest takeaways from um, yesterday's hearing on the Fatara scorecard? Well, you know, the scorecard hearing had an upbeat tone, and I think that was really well-deserved considering... Um, the progress agencies have made. And, you know, the average score went up. We didn't have any Ds or we didn't have any Fs. And over the five years that we've been measuring FATARA, uh, I think that's been a nice change. Um, 
you know, we uh, we previously we we would think about IT as supporting the mission. I think uh, COVID nineteen has really reinforced that IT is strategic and it is core to the mission. You know, technology has to be thought of as a strategic asset. It's not a commodity, and we heard that a lot in the hearing. Uh, yesterday, uh, Congressman Connolly, he was very clear that, you know, technology's made a big difference. And I think that the progress that agency CIOs can point to during this, uh, during the pandemic, the response during the pandemic ties a lot to the modernization, digital transformation activities they initiated, many of which were overseen and reinforced through FATARA and the ongoing hearings. Seems like a lot of the discussion is also about um, how should the scorecard um, evolve? How should it be changed in the future? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, um, I think we also heard, you know, the scorecard isn't rigid. It, it evolves like technology, and I, and I really uh, I really agree with that. The scorecard has had, um, you know, I I an interesting run. I think part of the challenge is, you know, is the, as it's put together, it's based on, you know, data that's publicly available, and sometimes there's more information inside an agency that could, that could inform it. But I think we need to look at the big things that um, drive perspectives on federal IT. So, you know, we have uh, mission modernization as, you know, I think a core theme from, from yesterday. And I think there's good questions about how do you, how do you uh, measure it? Um, we have the 21st Century um, Idea Act. And if we think about the concepts of idea around customer experience, around uh, e-signatures, around uh, workflow and making it simple for people to interact with their government, uh, we should be thoughtful about how to measure those capabilities. One way, one way to do that is to think about how agencies are engaging in their digital transformations. You know, have they adopted platforms to speed that environment, uh, to, spe to speed the um, development of those environments? Have they thought about how do they integrate the data in their in their legacy systems? Uh, via workflow to achieve their mission outcomes. We're not going to modernize every legacy system that we have in our environment overnight. Uh, we need to have strategies. And I like to think about um, platform as a strategy to to do some of that. And if, uh, just one other one other thought, um, you know, we need to be thinking about uh, legacy systems, of course, but we shouldn't be confusing legacy and operations and maintenance spending. We do spend a lot of money on O&M, but you know, there, we need to have a good definition of legacy, which in my opinion is uh, obsolete technologies. It's technical debt. It costs more to maintain and manage and secure than the value you get out of it. So it's important that we differentiate those concepts because that will really inform the conversation going forward, in my opinion. And what do you think you need to see from agencies and maybe from, from the Hill for more agencies to succeed on this scorecard? Well, cybersecurity came up uh, several times uh, as a challenge for agencies. And, you know, I think we need to have um, cyber hygiene metrics included in the scorecard. So when you when you think about doing that, that to me, that that is the idea of automating governance, risk, and compliance functions to drive costs down, to create efficiencies, to, to find small issues before they become big issues. And thinking about security operations and, and being able to remediate vulnerabilities and security incidents faster. You need automation and or orchestration around uh, you know, those concepts so you can prioritize vulnerabilities and threats. Um, and 
drive uh, more secure environments quickly and, and at lower cost. We have limited resources, so we need to be able to focus our attention on risk. So tools that support risk and security, I think are important as, as well as, um, you know, understanding our portfolio as well. We talked about legacy system modernization before. I think I heard GAOs say that agencies don't uh, necessarily have great understandings of their portfolios. And, you know, these agency uh, IT portfolios continue to grow in, in size and scope, especially when you have challenges like COVID-19. We're going to be spending more money on digital technologies to support uh, to support our constituencies and our stakeholders, citizens, customers of these agencies. And, you know, the, the CIO, the department CIO, doesn't necessarily have the governance resources to, um, you know, be in every meeting to understand all the changes that are happening in their in their organization. So you, they need, again, tools to help them with visibility into portfolios. And as they understand what investments are doing well and where there are challenges, ideally the CIO is empowered to make uh, changes in direction. And, you know, that's really the promise of Fitara. It's, it's easier said than done in some cases, but it can be done if agency CIOs have the right tools and the right support. So continuing to focus on agency CIOs reporting to the head of the agency, I think, is, is really important and very empowering for them. And, and just about 30 seconds to go, Jonathan, what do you, you mentioned the funding piece. Do you see that as the biggest obstacle here? Um, funding is important. Uh, we heard the Working Capital Fund come up many times, Technology Modernization Fund. Those are great ways to make sure that you know we have proper funds, but you need the right culture. Uh, you need to have a readiness for change and you know a recognition that IT modernization, digital transformation, Vitara, these activities are really journeys. They're not a destination. You can't stop. You have to continue to think about how to innovate and be very agile as we move forward. Thanks so much, Jonathan. Great to be here. Thank you. I'm Cherise Hanner. You can now keep your finger to the pulse of all things that matter to the business of government anytime, anywhere. Subscribe to the Government Matters Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, TuneIn, or simply ask your digital assistant to play the Government Matters Podcast. For a quick fix of government news, follow us at Twitter at GovMattersTV. That's the latest from Washington. Join us weeknights at 8 and 11 on WJLA 24-7 News and Sunday mornings at 10.30 on ABC7 to stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Thanks for watching. I'm Marjorie Sensor. Thanks for listening. Our daily program is produced by Sharice Hanner and Ashley Gallagher. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Beatrix Haddon. Government Matters was created by George Jackson. Visit govmatters.tv for articles, videos, and more, including our first feature-length documentary, The Dawn of Generation AI. Government Matters is recorded at WJLA-TV in Washington, D.C. Copyright Sinclair Broadcast Group.